0: You three have to behave if you're sat on that sofa. Don't hold out a whole lot of confidence that that's going to happen. She's my friend. She's allowed to do what she wants. So last week, especially if you are visiting this morning, we looked at the first in our series of hashtag do you know him real and revealed. And this morning, and I feel properly excited about this this morning, all across Skipton, in every church in Skipton, and uh, also in MC and Carlton, um, at least, uh, we are all looking at this same topic Jesus the Restorer. That's amazing. It really is amazing. Some people are are looking at it based on the lectionary readings, and even they're not the same as the other churches' lectionary readings, and some of us are kind of just doing the topic, but we are all looking together with all of the people who gather in our churches this morning at Jesus the Restorer. Restoration, of course, implies that something is broken or damaged, doesn't it? Because that's why it needs restoration. And as I was thinking about this earlier in the week, um, it reminded me of a popular nursery rhyme. And uh, that popular nursery rhyme is uh, this one. So after three, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Aww. It's sad, isn't it? There's poor Humpty Dumpty, all broken in pieces, on the floor, and no one can put him back together again. You know, we face that same experience so often, don't we? Powerlessness in the face of brokenness. That same experience that all the king's horses and all the king's men had with Humpty Dumpty, you'll remember that bit, we have in our lives so often Powerlessness in the face of brokenness. Whether it's on the micro level, my life, or on the macro level, this world that we are part of. We just either don't know what to do, or we can't do enough. And we are powerless in the face of the brokenness that we see in ourselves, in our friends, and all of around us, In this world, personal issues at times threaten to overwhelm us, and I'm sure we've all found ourselves in that place. And global problems are so great in their magnitude that we just simply feel powerless. And perhaps, like me, from time to time, you just think, I cannot see any more news, I can't read any more. And letters come through from charity organisations that I love and support, and I just, I cannot look anymore because it's just so overwhelming the size of what we face, the brokenness of what we face. We and our world are broken a bit like Humpty Dumpty. What does that mean, really? Because brokenness can be not a bad thing, but we're looking at kind of the negative side of brokenness. What does it mean for us, brokenness? There's a whole bunch of things I think that perhaps it means, and there's more than this, of course, as well. It means sadness. One in three people suffer from seasonally affected disorder. One in three. Well, in Yorkshire that's not great news, isn't it? Because we're seasonally affected quite a lot. (laughs) Probably about twelve months of the year. (laughs) One in three people are sad. There may be that they don't have that, but they are sad. There is great pain, both mental, emotional pain as well as physical pain. And that's in a nation where we have social services and we have an NHS. And our social services are stretched beyond capacity. And so people who desperately need help cannot always access it. Our NHS is at breaking point, and everybody's doing the absolute best that they can but there's still not enough for all the pain that's out there. And that's in our nation, where at least we have those things. And there is conflict. There is conflict at a global level. I looked it up on the internet, so it must be right, and apparently there are 28 key conflicts going on in the world at this point. 28, and I looked down the list and thought, I've heard of all of those. So what about all the others? the ones that rumble along under the surface, the ones that haven't even hit the news because they're between two tribes that no one cares about. And there's conflict in our homes, in our communities, even in our churches at times. There is hunger, more than there's ever been, and war. There is emptiness and loneliness. Now almost five million older people say that the television is their main form of company. It's really desperate, isn't it? Sixty eight per cent of adults say that they feel lonely often, always, or a few sometimes. Sixty eight percent of people, loneliness. It's epidemic, isn't it? Separation. I'm doing a funeral for somebody on Wednesday this week. And uh, I spoke to the funeral director and said, who do I need to contact? And they said, oh, well, there's a niece. Not that there's ever a problem with nieces, but it never kind of bodes well for the funeral when they say there's a niece. There's a lady and she's been widowed maybe three times. Imagine the pain of that. And she has a son, but he's estranged and he lives in Canada. You know, that's not unusual. Sadly, it's not unusual that people are so separated from the people that they love and could love them, but stuff happens, doesn't it? Brokenness at an individual or a global level. And Phil's led us really positively this morning, and now you're all looking sad. (laughs) I feel slightly guilty. But uh, actually, the... It just feels overwhelming, doesn't it? When you start to kind of unpack it, and that's just a few minutes, it feels overwhelming. And it reminded me of uh, one of the Greek myths. And uh, this isn't quite as clear as I would like it to be, but it's the myth of Sisyphus. the, The myth of Sisyphus. Sisyphus was punished by the gods and his punishment was that he was required to roll this huge stone up the mountain every single day to the top and every single day he would push this huge stone up the mountain and when he eventually reached the top the stone would roll back down the mountain again and the next day would be the same again. He had an impossible task and it feels like we have an impossible task, doesn't it, to face, when we look at the brokenness around us and even in our own hearts. This is not the time, either individually or globally, for sticky plasters. Sticky plasters are a wonderful thing, especially if they have a picture of Mr. Bumpon, and they make people feel better for a little bit. But we are beyond sticky plasters. We actually need to go to the root of the problem, to what is really this is all about. If we don't diagnose properly, then we can't prescribe the cure properly, can we? And we won't see change. And I know that you've heard this before, but it's always good to hear it again. We need to go to the root of the problem, and the root of the problem is heart trouble. It's the human heart. It is the human heart that's the problem. The issues are symptoms, aren't they, of the problem of the human heart. The issues are symptoms of the problem of what the Bible calls sin. What the Bible calls sin. Oswald Chambers, who was a very deep and spiritual man, who has died, (laughs) uh, he said this, very profound. Sin is not wrongdoing, though of course it is. It is wrong being. Deliberate and emphatic independence of God sin is wrong being deliberate and emphatic independence of God we are broken because we have chosen to live independently of the one who made us we were made to be in perfect relationship with God our father to know him and for him to know us for there to be clear communication between us how wonderful would that be anyone here ever struggle with prayer anyone ever struggle with listening to God Imagine we were made to not have those struggles, to be perfectly in communion with him and for him to be perfectly in communion with us. We were made to be in perfect relationship with one another. Hey, imagine that. That'd be good, wouldn't it? But at that point where sin entered the garden, whatever, however you interpret that, the relationship with God and the people he had made was broken And the relationship between men and women was broken and they started fighting in the Garden of Eden and, well, you know the rest of the story, don't you? Separated from him, separated from one another and separated from God's created order being all that it was meant to be for his glory. Sin enters and separation is in every part of who we are and where we are. We are broken. We are broken, aren't we? And our world is broken as a result of the sin that has entered because we've chosen to live our lives independently of the one who made us. But this morning, we are talking about Jesus, the restorer. And in that small phrase is a huge amount of hope. So you can stop looking sad. You can now start to look happy again. There's a huge amount of hope because Jesus came to fix stuff, didn't he? He came to restore it. He came to restore us to the Father. He came to restore us to one another. He came to restore us in this world. And we won't see all of that this side of heaven, but one day we will. And that gives us hope. Jesus came. He lived among us. He walked with us. He was like us. And he died in our place on a cross to take our sin and shame and all of the words that are written on that cross, all the things that sin looks like in our lives, greed, corruption, idolatry, covetousness, blasphemy, envy, all that stuff, Jesus took it Upon himself, And I could read to you most of the New Testament, but since there's pancakes later, I won't do that. But I do want to read to you a few verses to remind you of what Jesus has done for us in restoring us to the Father. Ephesians chapter 2. Please go away and read it all, but I'm going to read from verse 14. It says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose to, was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And then this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one spirit. Reconciliation, peace, restoration, two becoming one, far away becoming near. This is all that Jesus is about, bringing that restoration into the heart of who we are in his world. If you turn to Romans chapter 5, it can be anywhere between Romans 5 and Romans 8, really. Romans chapter 5. And verse 15, Paul writes this, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. And then verse 18, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of the one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. There was sin and then Jesus came. We were condemned and then Jesus has freed us from condemnation. We were unrighteous, then Jesus has made us righteous. This is good news. At least three of you are smiling. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation. If you are sitting there this morning feeling judged, feeling condemned, God's word says there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You don't need to feel that anymore. For those, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit and then just one more in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 it says god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god he did it all and if there's a key restoration this morning, it's simply that, that we are reconciled to the Father through Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know that transforming life in your own spirit? Have you believed in him? Have you trusted your whole life to him? Because he died in your place because he loves you and he wants you to be restored to your father in heaven so that you are free from sin and guilt and shame now, today and forevermore. Someone said, Oh, there we go, all those things. (laughs) Someone said, Someone who bears the scars of injury may be the best qualified to speak into the lives of those currently afflicted. Jesus is the wounded healer, isn't he? He bears the scars still in his hands and his feet and his side. And he continues to reach out to us to heal and to restore us. That's always been the work of God, to reach out to his people, to heal and restore them. And Jesus does that. The word restoration in Greek is apokatastasis, and it simply means the restoring of things back to how they should be. The restoring of things back to how they should be. You know, David says in Psalm 23, These very familiar words, he restores my soul. In another Psalm 42 in verse five, he says this, Why you cast down my soul? And he uses an image that comes from sheep and shepherding, which we're good at round here, aren't we? You know, sometimes sheep lie down and they lie on their stomach and they shift their weight to find somewhere to rest, but on occasions they just shift too much and they roll onto their backs with their feet in the air. I feel like that some days. And that word is the word cast down in Hebrew. They are cast down. And it's a very dangerous position for a sheep to be in because at that point, the gases in the sheep's stomach start to build up. And the sheep looks pretty pathetic, and it starts to panic. I imagine if you've walked around the hills here, you've seen that on occasions. And eventually, if those gases build up too much, the sheep will die. The sheep... Needs to be restored. It needs to be put back the way it should be. No longer to be cast down, but to be restored. David says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? I wonder what is your heart cry this morning to Jesus? What would you be saying to him? Are you weary? Are you disappointed? Do you feel disillusioned? What's going on in your soul? What would you be saying to him? In Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, God says, I will restore to you that the years the locusts have eaten. And we know that when the locusts come through, they eat completely and utterly everything. In an instant, gone, nothing left. God says to his people, I'll restore those years. You can't restore those years, can you? They're gone, aren't they? But God says he can. God does amazing, miraculous things in terms of restoration. He takes what is dreadful and barren and empty and dead. He says, I can do this. I can make it new. I can restore it. I wonder how that speaks to you. Are you defined by those years? The locust years, are you defined by that? Are you that person, the years the locust has eaten person? Are you defined by the one, Jesus, who can restore the years and make them good? Those things won't go away, but Jesus restores them. He makes them new. He breathes life where there is barrenness and death. He brings hope from broken things. How can Jesus restore the wasted years for you this morning? Jesus the Restorer. When I was thinking about this during the week, I came across one of those definition of personal needs things, you know? So you need to be ticking all these circles or spheres, whatever, uh, in order to feel needed. So, you know, you need to have connection and love and you need to have variety and you need to have certainty in your life. You need to feel you're making a contribution that you're growing and learning. You need to feel you have significance. Please don't look too despairing. But in there or in anything in your life, where do you most need Jesus, the Restorer this morning? You know, we read that lovely uh, story of blind Bartimaeus and um, it never, never fails to amuse me. So there's, there's Bartimaeus begging by the side of the road and he hears the crowds and he asks what's going on. They say, oh, Jesus is coming. He thinks, oh, I need to get in on this. There's a lot of people here and then there's this Jesus. so I need to get involved here because I might get more money if I'm involved in what's going on. And he calls out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, and this really uh, is important with the everyday supernatural stuff that we're involved in at the moment, Jesus hears him. You know how Jesus sees people and he feels the touch of people? Jesus hears him because because he hears in a kind of physical, spiritual kind of way. How how does he hear Bartimaeus over the whole of the crowds? Because because he's listening to the Father. And he hears Bartimaeus, and and then he says to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What do you think? And on this occasion, he says, I want to see. But you know what? Sometimes our presenting needs are not actually our heart needs. Jesus says to us, what do you want me to do for you? Now for Bartimaeus, the restoration of his sight meant inclusion. It meant that he could get work. It meant that he might be able to get married and have a family. It meant that he was restored in terms of the person that he was. What, What do you want me to do for you? I use the word if, I don't exactly mean if. If Jesus was standing here in front of just you this morning, just you, because clearly everyone else is way more important than you, if he was just here for you, and he said, what do you want me to do for you, what would you say? Because when we look at Jesus through the Gospels, we see so many things that Jesus does for people. He restores dignity to people, doesn't he? And there's many more people I could have put on here, but just imagine the woman with the issue of blood. We put it so nicely, don't we? (laughs) For most of her life, this has been her reality. She is unclean. She is excluded from worship. She is probably smells. She is ashamed. She is marginalized. She cannot be included. She is probably in pain. And she reaches out to Jesus and she touches him because she's even too embarrassed to go and talk. And yes, he heals her, but most of all, he restores her dignity as a person, as a woman. The same is true for the leper. Imagine walking around with a bell going, unclean, unclean. It's going to make you popular, isn't it? Deformed. Can't go to worship. can't be with your family because you're a leper. Jesus reaches out, he touches the man, he is restored. His dignity is restored. What about Mary Magdalene? Many things have been written about her, mostly untrue, but she was known to be a woman of ill repute. She had no dignity. But Jesus' pure love for her restored her as a person, a precious daughter of the king of kings. That's the kind of thing that Jesus does for people. And he restores significance. There's old Zacchaeus, gets a job as a tax collector for the Romans. Hated by the Romans because he's a Jew. Hated by the Jews because he's collaborating with the Romans. Great job, eh? Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come on, let's talk. What does Jesus do? He restores Zacchaeus' significance. He says, come and be on my team. Come and be with me. Come and be somebody. Do something of value with your life. And the Samaritan woman, married five times with somebody else, a Samaritan, at the very point Jesus says to her, can you give me a glass of water? That woman's significance is restored. And the rest of the conversation only goes on to underline that. And in all of these situations, he restores hope. But particularly the story of Peter. Peter, who's denied Jesus. At the very most important moment where Jesus needed a friend, Peter says, I didn't know you. Not once, but three times. I bet Peter felt wretched, useless, hopeless, rubbish. But Jesus speaks to him and he restores his hope. He said, I still have business for you to do, Peter. You are going to be extremely important. Because there is nothing broken that Jesus cannot restore. There are many times, aren't there, where we share our scar stories. You know, the ones where um, you've fallen off your bike. Mike's a good one for this got a scar across his chin, it's hidden by his beard. Went straight over the top of his bike, cycling down Hellvelin like you do. We all have our scar stories, don't we? Women tell, uh, tell birth stories instead of scar stories. Generally, that's kind of how it works. There are some scars incorporated with that as well. You know, scar stories are really important, aren't they? Because they kind of make us real, they're authentic, there's something about vulnerability. And one of my favorite poems, and one that I always look at every Easter, is by a poet called Edward Shillitoe, and it is called Jesus of the Scars. And the last verse of it says this, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak, and not a god has wounds, but thou alone. It's just beautiful, isn't it? Just beautiful. Whatever we may think about other faiths, we have a God who has wounds, a Saviour who has scars. It is beautiful. Our Restorer has wounds too. He walks with us, He comes alongside us. By His wounds, we are healed. Jesus chose to suffer separation from His Father in heaven and His friends. He endured accusation. Have you? Have you been on the receiving end of accusations? False ones? Have you been through pain? Are you enduring that today? Jesus has. Have you faced injustice? People speaking unjustly about you. Have you been lonely? He was. Were you betrayed? So was he. And so much more. He carries wounds that are like ours. He is our wounded healer, our savior. And he brings beauty in our brokenness. We've spoken of this before. But in Japan, they have this method of mending things called kinsugi. It means gold. Kin means gold, and sugi means repairs, golden repairs. It started when the Shogun of Japan, the leader, broke his favorite vase. And he was devastated and all his minions gathered up the little pieces of his broken vase. And they created this golden cement, I guess. And they carefully cemented the vase back together again. It could never be what it was, but it was almost more beautiful because the breaks were now golden and incorporated in the beauty of the vase. They work from a philosophy that is called wabi-sabi. That's not wasabi, that's those pea things. right? It means to find beauty in broken things. You know, we're all broken. Some people might look less broken than others, but hey, we're all broken. We all have wounds, we all have scars, we all need restoring, we all need... Jesus to bring beauty in our brokenness. Henry Nowon is a Jesuit priest who worked with people with physical, emotional, or mental learning difficulties. He wrote this. When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain And touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. And that's what Jesus does. He walks with us. He reaches out with his wounded hands and he touches us. And that's what we're called to be. Restorers. Those who carry the message of Jesus. Our saviour, our restorer to those who also need to know that wounded people like them know a wounded saviour. And find that restoration in their spirits, in their hearts, at the core of who they are, in their soul, their body. To know Jesus, the, the restorer. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what your heart cry is to him. I don't know where you need to No, his touch, his restoration, his life breathed back into you this morning. (laughs) Maybe you are crying just like that. But adults don't cry, do they? We do much better at the masks. In this place, Jesus sees you. And he knows your tears, whether they're on the outside or the inside. And he is the restorer. He's saying to you this morning, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you?